This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Worship with West Concord. We're going to continue our series today, Discipleship as God Intended. Now, when we think of discipleship, remember, discipleship is learning. It's being a learner. And in Christian discipleship, it involves more than just learning. It involves giving your life as a learner or giving your life to help someone else learn as we focus on Jesus Christ. And so therefore, discipleship rather involves relationships with other people. It involves groups. It involves a community. It involves friendships. You know, through this COVID situation, we've all been huddled around our devices, shut away and locked away by ourselves for necessity, yes, because we didn't want to spread the pandemic or get caught up in it. But now as things are opening up, we need to come back together. And even though we've been able to communicate over these devices, there's nothing like flesh and blood communication, being with each other. We talk about gathering in churches as well. We talk about gathering in groups. But discipleship is even more than just large gathering in groups. It's one-on-one or two or three people gathering together to encourage one another and to lift one another up and, and teach one another through the Word of God. You know, we have been conditioned now to sort of be by ourselves And the group Three Dog Night wrote a song many years ago. And one of the lines in the song is, One is the loneliest number. One is the loneliest number. We were not created to be alone. We were not created to be solitary. As a matter of fact, when Adam was created, it says in Scripture that he was lonely. And God created Eve for him to be a companion for him. So the human being, we need companionship. And as disciples of Christ, we need one another to help carry that along. That's why the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, notice I want you to see here, it says this, it says, and let us consider one another. Notice that, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. He goes on to say, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting or encouraging one another and so much more as we see the day approaching, especially the day of Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews here is telling us we need each other. We need to be together. We need to be encouraging one another to stir up one another, he says, in love and good works. And that's what discipleship is, whether it's one-on-one, three or four together, or whether we're gathered in the group. But that one-on-one friendship, that small group of relationship uh, that you have, that small group of people that you're related with, that is so important. So we need to crawl out of the hole of solitude that we've been in. As a matter of fact, one writer said this. He said, one can acquire everything in solitude. And that's true. By yourself, in a sense, you can get wealth, you can get health, you can do all those things. But he said, one thing you cannot get is character. Character. And we can relate that with our walk with Christ. We cannot be everything Christ wants us and needs us to be by ourselves. You know, I thank God that when I got saved, I had a group of buddies in high school that even though they may or may not have known it, they were discipling me and bringing me along. And I'll always be grateful to them for that. Because I tell you, loneliness and solitude are actually dreadful things. I came across a quote here this week by uh, the late 19th century artist, Vincent Van Gogh, a tragic man and a tragic life. And it's unfortunate because he had a wonderful talent. 
If you've ever seen any of his artwork, it's just amazing. But he was always racked with loneliness and sorrow. And he said this about loneliness. He said this. He said, a great fire burns within me, but no one stops to warm themselves at it. And passers-by only see a wisp of smoke. You know, as he wrote that or as he said that, that was a horrendous call of loneliness. He was so lonely. He says, I've got a fire burning in me. I'm passionate. I love life. I love doing things. He loved painting. He had an amazing talent. He had an artistic soul and spirit. But for whatever reason, he was lonely and alone. And he says he had this and he wanted to share it with people. But for whatever reason, he couldn't. And all that people saw of him was the wisp of smoke or the occasional artwork, I guess he's talking about, that he did. But what a tragic statement. Look at it again. A great fire burns within me, but no one stops to warm themselves at it. You know, really what needs to happen sometimes is often we need to take that fire out and share it with other people. We need to become uh, not passive with that, but somewhat aggressive. We need to get out there and be intentional about making friends, being friends. If we have a passion within us and that passion as believers is and should be Jesus Christ, then we need to share that fire with others. We don't, we don't want to be content with just demonstrating a wisp of smoke. So we're going to talk about that relationship, that one-on-one -on -one or two and three who we need to gather with on a regular basis to encourage one another in the things of the Lord. So we're going to turn our attention to the book of Ecclesiastes today. Ecclesiastes is an amazingly interesting book. It is a book written by King Solomon late in his life. And here was a man who had everything. He had wealth, he had family, he had everything you could ever imagine and desire. Yet the book of Ecclesiastes reads very pessimistically. It reads as though someone had had everything, but really had nothing. And that's what Solomon seems to be communicating. And there's a tremendous amount of wisdom. I preached a series of sermons on that uh, several years ago called Been There, Done That based on a book I had read by a, a popular author of the day. So we're going to look at Ecclesiastes and we're going to see why it's important to not live on an island of solitude or huddle by ourselves on our electronic devices. We need to stretch out, reach out and go out and be among people and be discipled and also to disciple people. So as we get into the word, we're going to get into chapter four. So turn your Bibles or get your devices set to chapter four of Ecclesiastes. We're going to start in verse four. But as we do that, we're going to go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. So please join me as we bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you that for uh, the world around us, things seem to be opening up some. Father, we thank you that at least in our country and in our part of the country, the pandemic seems to be receding as people get vaccinated, as there seems to be more herd immunity. Father, we do lift up nations like India who are suffering and struggling with an overwhelming uh, pandemic issue. But Father, we thank you that we seem to be coming out of this and we're able to get out and be among people and to be at church again. And Father, I pray that as we gather again, we can begin to get with our friends. And Father, not only enjoy times of fellowship together, but also to encourage one another. But Lord, help us not to be alone. Help us to reach out and to step out. And Lord, as we see those who are alone, help us to reach out to them. For as the song says, one is the loneliest number. And Lord, help us to live beyond and above that. Bless us as we open your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So we're going to talk about loneliness and being alone and solitude, and we're going to look at the idea of how friendship is beneficial to us as people and especially as disciples. So if you have your Bible or your device, turn it over to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And again, Solomon is reflecting on his life as an old man, an old man who had abundance of wealth. Solomon had a thousand wives, which God, I'm sure, wasn't happy about. And he had all kinds of things going for him, had everything that you can imagine, fame, you name it, he had it. And yet Solomon comes off very, not negative or pessimistic, but he comes off as having learned the lesson how those things aren't as important as real friendships and a relationship with God. You know, Solomon was an interesting individual anyway. We know that he wrote the Song of Solomon early in his life, speaking of the wonders of fresh marital love. He wrote many of the Proverbs in the book of Proverbs in the middle of his life as he was experiencing life through the wisdom of God. And then as we get to the uh, book of Ecclesiastes, which is the book of the preacher, it, uh, it's of an old man who looks back on his life with, yes, some regrets and uh, having learned some very difficult lessons, but in the end, he points us to the Lord. So in chapter four, we're talking about friendships, relationships, solitude, and we're gonna contrast this as selfishness versus selflessness, because you have to understand something. In order to be a successful discipler, uh, you have to be selfless. You have to get out of your comfort zones. You have to reach out, and yes, sometimes it's inconvenient and uncomfortable, but we need to do that. We need to be selfless because when we're selfish, we suffer a lot of character issues. And that's what we want to look at first. So we're going to talk about the, uh, the vanity of selfishness. Now, Solomon uses the word vanity in his book a lot here. And it means a catching of the wind. It means emptiness, a waste, if you will. It's just a vain uh, action. And so we're going to look at the vanity of selfishness, the waste of selfishness. And he's going to talk about this in the way of relating with other people. And he says in verse uh, 4 of chapter 4, he says, Again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. You know, we, we like to keep up with the Joneses. If they have it, we think we should have it. If they're doing it, we think we should doing it, should be doing it. If they're experiencing it, we think we should be experiencing it. And you know what? This has always been the case because Solomon lived quite a while ago, but it's more magnified today with social media because now we see, we don't have to go next door and look at the Joneses. The Joneses are on our device enjoying their sumptuous meals and their beach vacations and their brand new car and new house and perfect kids. And we look at that and we think, my goodness, I just don't measure up. Again, I saw that uh, all the toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. No matter how hard you work, somebody is envying you or you're envying them. And he says, this is also vanity and grasping for the wind. And so he's talking about selfishness and he's going to give us three characteristics and almost a sort of a, a progression or regression, if you will, of character traits in selfishness. He's gonna first of all talk about envy. In verse five and six, he's giving us an understanding of, of envy. And I want you to notice, well, let me, it actually picks it up in verse four. I got ahead of myself. In verse four, he says, for all the work that a man does, 
He is envied by his neighbor. He's envied. And that's what we do in social media, like Facebook and Instagram and all these things, only seem to feed that envy. And let's face it, we like to put the best stuff out there. We like to put our vacation pictures and we like to put uh, celebrations and triumphs out there. I mean, we want to share them with our friends and, and we like to do That's good. That's not bad to begin with. Let's, let's not be too harsh. But also at the same time, we need to be careful when we look at that and say, gee, they have a great life. What's wrong with me? Because when we're by ourselves, when we're in solitude, just, just looking at our devices and looking at the world outside of us instead of going out and living it, we begin to envy. And what is envy? Envy at the end of the day is self-loathing, self-hatred. I'm not as good as so-and-so. I'm not as wealthy as so-and-so. I'm not as blessed as so-and-so. I'm a loser. I'm this, I'm that. Whatever words or things we're telling us ourselves, whatever things demons are whispering in our ears, this kind of self-loathing. And we begin to look at what other people have and we say, I want your share. I want what they have. Instead of being content with what we have, instead of being grateful to God for what he's given us, we begin in our own little solitude to look at others outside of our world and say, wow, they're better than me. I'm no good. I want what they have. Well, this envy, when we start behaving that way, it moves into excess. Now let's look at five and six. It says the fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together for with toil and grasping or rather with toil and grasping for the wind. So he's saying that there is that kind of excess that comes with, okay, I want what they have. I want what he has or she has. So I'm going to go after it, get it. I'm going to make my life's motive to get rich and to get what everybody else has because evidently I'm not as good. Again, envy, self-loathing. I want your share. So now it moves to self-luxurating. I want my share. I want the luxuries that they have. I want to self-luxurate like they do. I want my share. So it first starts off with folding of the hands. That involves rest. But he goes on to say, better is a handful with quietness than both hands full. In other words, Solomon is saying, look, it's, it doesn't matter if you have a lot. All that matters is if you have enough. But you see, when we become envious of other people, when we're locked in our own little quiet world and we're hating ourselves, then all of a sudden the selfishness moves into self-luxurating and we want, we want our share. We want to be cool like them. We want to have the great vacation. We want to have the big house and the beautiful new car and the perfect kids and the beautiful spouse or the handsome spouse. We want all of those things. And we begin to focus on self-luxurating and it's very, very excessive. So we move or go from envy, self-loathing down to excess, self-luxurating. I want their share. Now I want my share. And then we end up with egotism. Look what he says as we continue on in verse 7. He said, Then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. Now when Solomon, he uses that phrase under the sun a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it refers to the realm of this world under heaven. Okay, away from God's heaven, under heaven. When he says under the sun, he's talking about the world that we live in, the world that we experience. He said, Then I returned and saw vanity, emptiness, 
under the sun. And notice what he says in verse eight. There is one alone. And there he is. He's, he's focusing on that solitude. There is one alone without companion. He has neither son or brother, yet there is no end to all his labor. Nor is his eye satisfied with riches, but he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. So suddenly now it's about me. It's egotism. I don't need anybody in my life. I don't want anybody in my life. Who would I do all this work for anyway? You know, I've heard people say, well, I do all this work and gain all this stuff and I'm going to die and leave it to my ungrateful son or, or, or lazy daughter or whatever. And they get all upset and they think it's all about them. But understand, excess moves down to egotism. It starts with envy. I hate myself, self-loathing. It motivates us. I want your share. So we start self-luxurating. I want my share. And then we move into self-loving. I'm not going to share. Why am I doing all this work for somebody else to get it? Again, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? Why should I have anybody else in my life who's just going to want some of my stuff? Who, why should I want somebody else in my life that after I die and do all of that work and get all, they get it and they didn't earn it. Why should I want to be that way? This is also vanity in a grave misfortune. So you see the emptiness of selfishness. It begins when we begin to envy somebody. And when we're alone through this pandemic, we've been locked into our social media and our devices. We haven't gotten out and interacted with people. We haven't shared with people. And this is what discipleship is the way God intends it. It means for us to live our lives openly with people, sharing with them. Sharing not only, and I'm not just saying material possessions, but sharing our spirits with them, sharing the word with them. You know, again, as Aaron preached last week, the whole purpose of discipleship ultimately is filling the world with the glory of God. And we can't do this while we sit on our devices by ourselves, while we sit at home and not get involved in others' lives. But we begin to envy, we hate ourselves, and we want the share that other people are enjoying. I want my share, I want that. And then we move into self-luxurating, the excess. I want their stuff. And I want to gather stuff. And by that time comes, look at me. I love my, now I made it. I've got all the stuff. I've got all the fame. I've got all the friends, but not really friends because it involves self-loving. And at the end of the day, we just don't want to share. And unfortunately, so many Christians now live that way. Oh, we come to church and we gather for corporate worship and we slap each other on the back and shake hands, maybe even back when we could give a hug. How are you doing? We all have the pat answer, we're fine. We have this sort of surface thing going on on Sunday morning, and then we go home. And then we go about the rest of our week doing our jobs, caring for our families, doing all the things, and those are not fine things, that's what we should be doing. But very rarely do we ever connect up with our Christian brothers and sisters. Very rarely do we get together just over a meal or over a cup of coffee and just encourage each other or, or have some time in the word together. And that's involving sharing. And when you do that, listen, you begin to learn the trouble that someone else is going. See, when you look on Facebook or Instagram and see all those wonderful pictures of a perfect life, the reality is the life behind those pictures 
isn't always perfect. Matter of fact, most of the time, if not all the time, they are dealing with struggles and difficulties and trials that perhaps you and I can't even imagine. So just because somebody's life looks perfect and looks like they have it together and has all the stuff doesn't mean that's the way it is in reality. And so, and, and here's another thing. Somebody might be looking at your life thinking the very same thing. Oh no, they couldn't, they shouldn't. Well, they probably are. So that's why we need to get out of this vanity of selfishness. We need to get our eyes off of ourselves. Otherwise, we're gonna get caught up in envy and it's gonna turn into excess trying to keep up with everyone until suddenly we have all the stuff, we become egotistical and uh, then we don't wanna be involved in anybody else's life. That's the way it usually goes. So there's a vanity in selfishness so now let's turn our attention because this is what Solomon does. We need to look to the value of selflessness. Selflessness is putting others first. Selflessness is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He put us before himself. The Bible says in the Gospel of Luke, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost, and he came to serve rather than to be served. He put us before himself. He died on the cross. He didn't have to do that, but his love motivated him to. And he gave his life for you and I. As we saw back in John 15, someone loves so much that they lay down their lives for their friends. That's that kind of sacrificial love. So let's look as Solomon talks about the value of selflessness. Let's pick it up in verse 9. And here is a great understanding of friendship, companionship, and discipleship. He says two, verse nine, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. That's the premise. We need somebody in our lives. That's why God instituted the, the, uh, the uh, issue of marriage, a man and a woman being together, walking together through life. I wouldn't know how I would be or what I would do without Susan. I need her. And, and hopefully I think she needs me. We need one another. And I thank God that I have her and my heart goes out to those who are widowed or abandoned. And uh, it's difficult to try to get through life without somebody to be there at your side. And so he says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. So let's look at these aspects of selflessness. First of all, let's talk about walking. And when I say walking, I'm talking about as we go through life. But I guess you can think of literal walking at the same time, because sometimes when we're walking, we're going along and maybe we stumble. Look what it says in verse 10. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone, for when he falls, he has no one to help him up. You know, as we go through life, we're bound to stumble. You know, as we walk through the grocery store, we might trip on something. As we, as we go through the park, we might stumble. And it's always good to have someone there with us to pick us up. But imagine going through life as we walk through life on this journey. And when we stumble, there might be physical issues we deal with. You know, many of us have gone through physical difficulty during this pandemic. Uh, and we've needed people to help us. You know, some people have been isolated and insulated and we've needed people to bring us things or to, or to communicate with us. We need people. And so physically, when we stumble, either because of health issues or financial issues or whatever, we need somebody there to pick us up. 
In the last year when I went through cancer treatments, it was difficult. And I thank God I had my wife to help pick me up, my kids and, and, and this wonderful church here at West Concord, who when I was stumbling, they kept me going. They kept picking me up. But you know what? It's not just the physical falls, but even more interesting, we can, we can pick each other up in the spiritual falls as well as we're going through life and we stumble spiritually. Because listen, as, as, as big a front and a, and, and that we put on, none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. You know, we're living in the day and age of wearing masks. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to get rid of these masks. But you know what? Let's be honest. We've been wearing masks ever since we came to know Christ. At times, we like to put up the front that everything is okay and we're on top of it. But listen, just like physical existence, spiritual life is a struggle as well. The reason why is because we're human. We make mistakes. We get caught up in sin. Yeah, we even get caught up in selfishness. And there are times when we stumble. And you know what? More often than not, when somebody stumbles, we who are spiritual want to go and almost kick them when they're down and throw them out. But listen, we need to pick each other up. And that's what discipleship is all about because all of us are going to stumble. Yes, including preachers, deacons, Sunday school teachers. We're all going to stumble and fumble sometimes. That's why we need each other to love each other and to pick each other up. So when we stumble and fall physically, praise the Lord, there's always going to be somebody there to pick us up and help us up. But you know what? When we stumble spiritually, that's what discipleship is so important. We need to be there to pick our brother and sister up and to bring them along with us. And you sometimes will stumble and fall and you need somebody to pick you up as well. So the value of selfishness is in walking, going through life, physical falls, spiritual falls. But not only that, Solomon here speaks of warmth. Look what he says in verse 11. He says again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? You know, I read a lot of history. I love war stories. I, I'm a real avid student of especially World Wars I and II. And I read these stories of these soldiers. For instance, during the Battle of the Bulge in Europe, uh, when, when it was in the wintertime in, in Europe and, and these soldiers were cold. And more often than not, at night, they had to huddle together in the foxholes and get close so they could keep each other warm because there were many soldiers that froze to death uh, during those times in World War II when it was so cold. And you know, life in this world, listen, this could be a cold place. This world has fallen. It's broken. This world is confusing. It's daunting. And yes, sometimes this world can be very cold. And we saw in John 15, Jesus said, listen, because of me, the world is going to hate you. When you're trying to live for Christ and trying to be Christ-like and walk with Him, you're not going to get any warm reception from the world. As a matter of fact, they're going to reject you. They're going to, they're going to hate you in some instances. That's why we need each other in this cold, cold world. We need to huddle together to be warm. So yes, in cold weather, just like those soldiers who had to huddle together to stay warm, we need to huddle together in a cold world. That's why Sunday is not enough. That's why we need to spend time together as often as possible. 
Parents, you need to be encouraging your children in the Lord. And children, your older and elderly parents and grandparents, listen, the world gets colder the older you get. And they need you there to keep them warm spiritually as well as physically. And we need our friendships. We need each other in the church. We need to do more together than just Sunday and maybe Wednesday. We need to spend certain times of the week together. You know, the Bible said, as we saw when we were together last time in Acts 2, that Christians seemed to get together on a daily basis back then. They weren't locked in a building. They didn't have any buildings. They weren't locked in a meeting time. They were there every time, all the time, to kind of help one another through things. And yes, we have to work. Yes, we have to go to school. But you know what? The guys that discipled me, we went to school together. And while we had seven or eight hours of classes, there were times we got together in school to encourage each other at lunchtime or after school or between classes. It could be that way in your job. It could be that way as you retire with your neighbors or your, or your Christian friends here at church. It gladdens this pastor's heart when I see folks going out together for lunch or after a service going to get coffee or meeting together around the word through the week. It's a cold world out there, folks. And we need each other to stay physically warm, yeah, through the cold weather, but also warm through this cold world. So as we walk through life, we can pick each other up either with physical stumbles or through spiritual falls. It's cold and we need that warmth of friendship to help us during cold weather, but also more importantly, in this cold, difficult world. But also Solomon speaks of one last thing in verse 12, and I have called it watch care. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, though one may be overpowered, by another two can withstand him. So one, by, if one is overpowered by another, it's always nice to have two people there to help defend you. You know, my son has taken karate since he was nine years old. And Andy, today as I do this, he is getting his second black belt in nunchucks. And he has uh, got a fourth degree black belt in karate. And I'm very proud of him. And he instructs karate. And I'll tell you what, if I go anywhere with Andy, I feel very safe. Because when he was little as a father, it was my job to protect him. But now I look to Andy to protect me because Andy's great. But by myself, I would be in trouble if somebody were to come after me. And it's that way, spiritually speaking, too. Uh, one just isn't going to do it. One can be strong, but as he says, two are stronger. You know, as you face the challenges of life, and listen, life is challenging. And, and, and just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're going to be exempt from those challenges. As a matter of fact, as you walk with Christ, those challenges may often and will be more difficult and more hard because you're walking against the tide, because you're living in a way the world rejects. Problems don't go away because you know Christ. Sometimes problems get even harder and deeper and more painful. Trust me, I understand that. I've experienced that. And so you need someone, you need a friend, you need, yes, your spouse, yes, but you need a friend, you need somebody who stands by you. I thank God for the fellow pastors I have here at West Concord Baptist Church, for Aaron Thomas and Richard Reed. We stand together, we meet together, for other folks, our deacon body, our worship leader, our staff, and just fellow members who when we struggle with life and life challenges us and wants to knock us down, you know, I can't, I can't make it by myself. I need someone else. So one is strong, two are stronger, but look what he says as we finish verse 12. He says, and a threefold, threefold cord rather is not quickly broken. You know, one is strong, two is stronger, 
Ah, but three is strongest. We need that watch care in our lives. You know, because there are times when our friends can see something coming to knock us down before we see it. They may see us get involved in something that maybe we shouldn't. And they say, look, if you keep going on in this way, you're going to get in trouble. Something's going to happen. I need somebody in my life to speak at me and speak in my life and tell me that. And you know what? The more people gathered with me to encourage me and to help me, and the more people I can get involved in to encourage and help them, this is what's great. We need each other. And this is the beauty of discipleship. Okay, you might think you're strong by yourself, and one is strong, but two are stronger. And three, man alive, that's the strongest. And so we need that kind of companionship. And so selfishness is, is vanity. Selfishness is envy. Selfishness will lead us to envy. And envy will lead us to excess. And excess will lead us to egotism where we're the only one that matters. And we'll luxurate and, and have all of our stuff. And we'll be so, so self-absorbed that we won't want to share what we have. But selflessness is so valuable because as we walk through life, when we stumble physically or spiritually, somebody will be there to help us up. And when it gets cold in this world, we'll have somebody to, to stand with us and to be with us, to keep us warm and to encourage us and to lift us up. And when things challenge us in this world, you might think you're strong, but somebody else with you is stronger. And when you have two or three gathered, then that is the strongest. As a matter of fact, I want you to notice as we get ready to wind things up, in Matthew chapter 18, in verses 19 and 20, Jesus said this. He said, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. You know, this is the thing. We need each other. Jesus reminded his disciples they needed one another. He goes on to say this, and this sort of backs up what Solomon said there in verse 12 of chapter 4. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, and that's the key. I'll tell you why in a minute. I am there in the midst of them. You know, he's telling them, if you agree on one thing on earth, two of you, my father will make it happen. Oh, it doesn't just mean if, I, if we agree that we need a new car or we agree that we need a raise or if we agree, you know, it's not talking about that. It's as we gather around the things of God and as we begin to pray and gather and agree on the mission, agree on the, the glory of God, as we agree on our walk with Christ, the father will grant those needs that we have in order to fulfill that desire in our heart as we gather with that. That's why there's a difference between the fellowship of Christians, which is just believers gathering together, and that's great, this is part of the thing, but it's also talking about Christian fellowship as we gather to really focus on Christ, the man, the mission, and the message. Then as we do that, and as we agree with God and agree with one another in prayer about that, then God will, will help us and grant us the things we need to carry that out. And then he says this, where two or three are gathered together in my name. That's how we know that this is talking about Christian, Christ-centered fellowship and discipleship. He says, I'm there in the midst. Isn't that a wonderful promise? So not only does discipleship encourage us, and not only do we need others in our lives, but as we gather together and actually pull off this dynamic, when we gather, even if it's just two or three, 
Jesus is with us. Jesus is there with us together. And so this is what Solomon was saying. Solomon was saying selfish, selfishness is vanity, but selflessness is value. So as we close, I just leave you with one other passage. It's from Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. It says this, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need each other, guys. We need to lift each other up. We need to carry each other along. I know there are times I need people to, to take one arm on each side and help me get through it. There are times I get discouraged. Sometimes I get beaten down. I tell you, it's tough. But I thank God for those people in my life. Yes, my wife and my family, but my brothers and sisters in Christ that I have gotten, that I've gotten close to that help bring me through things when they become difficult. Oh, please don't go through stuff alone. That's why discipling is so important. That's why you need to reach out and find somebody that you can walk with. You need to reach out and find somebody that maybe might need encouragement from you in the word. Or maybe you need to humble yourself and find a mentor, someone who will be able to encourage you in the Lord. But don't do this alone. Get your face out of Facebook. Get out of Instagram. Listen, put down your device and go find a real person. You know, I, I think it's funny when people says, if you love Jesus on Facebook, this really, it's funny, but it's tragic. They put these memes, memes up on Facebook and they say, if you love Jesus, like and share. Listen, if you love Jesus, put down your phone or your tablet and go out and find someone to like and share with them the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the secret and the key to discipleship as God intended it to be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word. And I pray that those who have watched this video or who are listening on their, on their radio or their device, Father, I pray that you'll help them to look beyond the stumblings and the verbal inadequacies of this preacher. And I pray that your message has gone forward. And I pray that you'd speak to their hearts, Lord, so that you would help them to understand, like you've trying to help me understand, that selfishness has no value. It's vanity. It's empty. It leads us to be envious. It leads us to live in excess trying to compete. And it leads us to finally being egotistic and loving ourselves. But Father, I pray that we would see the value in selflessness, which it takes selflessness to be a disciple and to disciple someone. Father, I pray for West Concord Baptist Church that we would become a discipling church. I pray for all those believers who are watching and listening today that you would help them to find someone to either disciple or someone that they can be discipled by so that we might be able to make it through this life better and we might bring glory in this world as Habakkuk said. Father, bless us. Help us, Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Take care and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.